Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is from a unique question that deals with a subject so foundational to Christianity that it makes it very hard to condense it into just one message. We will be talking about prayer, and not just any aspect of prayer, but the question is, how does prayer work? Thanks for joining us as we look to correct many missteps about prayer and find its true place in our Christian lives to shape our confidence in God. Back when we had cable, there was one show that I loved to watch on the History Channel called Forged in Fire. Anyone else ever see this show? You still catch a couple episodes on, on YouTube or somewhere out there, right? Great show. They, they do like a lot of reality shows. They'll get a couple of guys uh, pitted against one another who are blacksmiths. And they have to, in a certain allot- allotted amount of time, create a variety of different tools and weapons. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> One of the things uh, that makes me nervous, though, in watching it is uh, the furnace. They have one of these, uh, I think it's a a type of gas furnace by which they heat up the metal. And anyone who knows anything about metallurgy knows that when you hit metal, it resists being hit. (laughs) Uh, The metal does not want to form into the shape that the, the master craftsman would like it to look. And so you have two options. You can hit harder... (laughs) or you can heat up the metal to the point that it becomes more malleable. As I think to metaphor in our own Christian life, uh, God is desiring to shape you. Like it or not, uh, you are on the anvil of God's design, and he will use a hammer of sorts more often than not To humble us, uh, to bring us to a point of dependency on him, and ultimately to shape us so that we do not look as much like our old selves, but that we end up looking more and more in the image of his son. Except the problem is, just like iron, you and I tend to resist the hammer blows. Raise your hand if you like being shaped by God. Anybody? No? No hands. Uh, It it is more often than not painful. It more often than not requires patience. It more often than not requires for the shaping to be done correctly, a heart that is prepared to be malleable. Uh, This morning, we are going to answer another question in the I Was Wondering series. This was a tough one for me. It was really tough this week. In fact, I had to talk to the elders just to say, I don't know how I'm going to do this today. Uh, Here was the question. How does prayer work? Those four words. That was it on the card. How does prayer work? Now, the question wasn't, how should we pray? That'd be a a different answer. Or, uh, what are the incorrect ways of praying? That'd be a whole different sermon as well. This is a unique question. And I I think all of us at some point in our spiritual journey have sometimes wondered, when it comes to prayer, how's this really working with God? I mean, I don't see God. I I feel like maybe I'm talking to an imaginary friend. I don't know what it is that I really am supposed to be expecting out of a disciplined prayer life. It'd be easy enough if I could say, well, how to pray? Well, you just fold your hands and then you bow your head and you talk to God and you hang up the phone by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Be a short little sermon. 
But that wasn't the question. The question was, how does prayer work? And I think another contributing factor for why this is uh, keen in our minds as something to be investigated is because of the variety of ways in which our world today seems to take prayer and spin it in a, a version that looks so different in so many different circumstances. So, so everything from uh, every time a bell rings, right, an angel gets its rings, to, to, the, to the football touchdown prayer. Like, what, what is it that's going on here? Is this some type of a, a token acknowledgement of God? Or maybe there might be something significantly formative in the purpose of prayer and how God has designed it to work. And so that's what we're going to try to do this morning. It is absolutely a three-hour sermon, but we're going to shorten it. We're going to shorten it right down. I don't know if you saw your notes this morning, but I actually had to shrink the font size down to fit everything in. <clears throat> You'll also note one change in your notes. Um, I, have the, I have the verse, unfortunately, from last week on there. Our, our verse for this week, right under where it says, how does prayer work, should be James 5, 13 through 20. James 5, 13 through 20. You, you could just update that in your notes. I invite you of your Bibles, turn there with me. And as you're turning there, I would like to begin by making a claim as to how prayer works. This is where we're going to go. This is what I believe uh, James is going to help the church to see. Prayer is the furnace of our faith formation. <clears throat> prayer is the furnace of how faith is formed in the believer's heart. Now, if you're a keen Bible student, you might be thinking, uh, aren't trials the thing that form us? I mean, we could look at a lot of verses this morning that talk about how we are to rejoice in our trials because they, the trials that you go through, are forming our faith. Refining is the word that the scripture authors use. Refining, much like a furnace does. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a little hidden truth in this concept of trials. Because here's the truth. Here's the reality. You all don't pray enough. Right? Am I right? Until life gets pretty crappy. And, and then once it does, as soon, as soon as you have some need that shows up, as soon as a trial shows up, guess what you start doing? You start praying. And I believe that's that little subtext that's hidden within these teachings under the word trials. Is because... It's really trials that humble us to the point where we start praying. And it's, th this is my claim though, but it's the prayer. It's not the trial itself. It's the prayer united in the moment of the crucible of difficulty for the believer. That is what softens you to what God has to teach you through that difficulty. Therefore, it's prayer that's the furnace. Just like you saw in the image up here earlier, that's that heat that's blowing on that metal. So that as God comes to teach and to shape and to change, you and I learn to respond. But only when our hearts are being united in conformity with his will. And how does that happen? It happens through... Do I, are you with me? It happens through prayer. It really, I feel like, begs the question, then why don't we pray more? Well, why not desire to look more like Jesus all the time? Not just when difficulty comes our way. If my faith could be formed at all times through prayer, maybe my life should be more characterized 
through prayer. And so how is prayer really working? This, this is the claim that we're going to try to work through. And before we, we go through the James passage, I need to lay out some preliminaries. So this is the tiny font in your notes. Um, I'm, I'm having these listed as facts on which we have to build our understanding of prayer. The first is the requirements that define prayer's purpose. Now, these are significant. The first is that God has, and I have them all up here right away. We're going to go through them as quick as I can. God has fashioned humans for spiritual communion with him. So the only reason why prayer works at all is because you are a spirit creature. You, as a human being, have been given a spirit This is the unique part of God's design in Genesis 1 when he creates the human. Do you remember? Here speaking to to the cacophony of those who are on the divine council, all of the spirit beings in heaven, God says, let's go down and make man in our likeness and image. He didn't say that for the animals. He didn't say that for the mountains and the trees and the clouds and the birds and the rest of creation. Nothing else in creation, save the angels, has a spirit except humans. You have been given a spirit because the design and the purpose is that you've been fashioned for communion with God. And that to happen through the medium of prayer. Secondly, God has a plan and a purpose. Originally, I had these as two separate points because I wanted, I wanted you to see he's got a plan and a purpose for the world and he's got a plan and a purpose for you. Ultimately, it's kind of the same idea. You could scratch it down as simply God's got a plan. Amen. Amen. Is that good news? I, I really hope that's good news to you because when it comes to prayer, foundational to you and I becoming formed through prayer is the prerequisite that I don't know what's going on, but who does? God does. And so... I need to be better in tune with his purpose so that I line up with his plan. So God has a plan. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, God is in control. Never is that more important for the believer than when you go through trials. Nevertheless, this is a foundational prerequisite for you and I understanding how does prayer work? All these have to be true. God's made you to unite with him in communion, spiritual communion through prayer. God has a purpose in your life, a design to which you are clueless to, unless you're in tune with God's leading in mind. And so prayer is the formation of how you learn that. And then finally, his plan means he's also in control of that. And this is why we turn to God in prayer. Three more facts I want to lay out for you. Correcting some false teachings about prayer. Number one, God is not a cosmic vending machine. I'd say raise your hand if you're guilty of asking God for something that he did not want for you. Nobody? There's a lot I prayed for in high school that I'm grateful God said no to, right? Because I was pretty immature in how I understood my requests. You with me? Anybody else with me, right? Thinking that I need to ask God for this and he's going to give it to me if I ask nicely, right? No, that's not how it works. In fact, as we look to how God, God actually operates, the scriptures give us uh, some difficult teachings. And, and just before I show you these passages, I just want to pause here somewhat at the beginning of this message and let you know, as you study how prayer works, for you to really get on board with this might require some, some change in your heart for what you thought prayer was. Because it's very possible you've been acting like this without even knowing it. 
that you really kind of just go to God whenever I need something. Ever have someone like that who calls you on the phone, right? When their name shows up, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I know. What, what can I do for you this time, right? Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, God's not as capricious as we are in that sense, right? But imagine if that's how we treated God. That's not, who he, that's not how he operates. Has he ever told you no? But it didn't feel too good. And part of the reason might be a no answer would really reveal I've been treating God like a genie. That I just want what I want. And if I, I'm really not yielded in my heart for him to control the requests of what I ask for. This verse from Romans chapter 9. Paul says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says of Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. Tough verse, right? It is for me. I know, therefore, it must be for you. This is the truth, though. Uh, Additionally, in this, you have this passage from Matthew 7. Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out many demons? In your name perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Lord, Lord, don't I get what I want? I I did all these things. I thought that's how the program worked. Or what if I really, really wanted it? It doesn't depend on desire. God's got a program. God's got a plan. He is not beholding to the whims of your circumstances or mine. Quiet in church today, huh? Right? That's That's really a tough one for us because none of us feel like we would think that's fair because all of us are idolaters. Right? Sinners at heart, we think our way of doing it is right. I want it the way I want it. And we don't see the large picture that God sees. So this is true, though. That a, a, a correction on teaching when it comes to prayer is that uh, God is not a genie just waiting for you to ask and delivering at any whim and moment what you ask for. Number two, uh, prayer does not change God. The moments in Scripture, and there's only a handful, two that I can think of off the top of my head, where somebody prays and then God changes or happens to relent, the Bible uses that language, in what he said was going to happen. Um, By the way, when we get back for Bible study, I'd love to look at those in more depth if that's a passage that you guys want to study. But the short version of it is simply this. The reason why God seems to change is because he's only doing what he said he would do in the very beginning. If you act like this, God said, I'm going to give you this. But if you act like the way I designed you to act, I will respond in this way. And so the change, the relenting of God was simply in in line, in accordance to what he had already said. Understand very simply this. God does not change based upon your prayers. In fact, God doesn't change, period. I want you to know that's really, really good news. And if we get this wrong, if if we operate with false teachings on this, I'm telling you folks, it is going to make a mess of prayer when it comes time to pray. Um, I had it in my notes. It's just far too long, but you you could write down um, 
1 Kings chapter 18. Let, let me encourage you to just study that uh, on, your, on your own time. Re- read through that chapter. It's the story of Elijah with the false prophets, uh, servants of the false god Baal. And uh, if you're familiar enough with the story, right, the, the issue was we're going to make two altars. They're going to call on Baal, and Elijah's going to call on Yahweh, the one true living God. And whichever God answers, we're going to call that God, right? You guys know the story, so I'm just giving you the simplified version. They start praying. They start calling out upon their God, and nothing happens. And Elijah starts taunting them. Maybe he's going to the bathroom and he can't hear you. Like That's literally what it says. It's hilarious. And so they start acting, they start acting more pagan, cutting themselves, uh, dancing around, crying out in ways that look very pagan. Because this is the false idea. You grew up with this, by the way. You were formed in this without even knowing it. Little baby, what do they do? <laughs> to get what? Whatever they want. No amens from the parents? Come on, you guys, right? And if they don't get what they want, what does the baby do? Cry louder. That's exactly right. So we've all been formed in this twisted way of thinking. If I just do it more and more, I'll finally get what I want. doesn't work that way. God doesn't change. These verses, Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a human being that he should change his mind. He has said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it happen? Or this passage from James 1.17, the beginning. He says, all generous and giving and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. Okay, so prayer doesn't change God. One more correction. God's plan does not require your petition. There's a, there's a little bit of an asterisk on this, only in the sense that we are part of that plan. And so if you are not praying, if you, if, in fact, you are going to decide to rebel against God, God's going to let you do that. He's going to totally let you go your own way because he doesn't need you. I remember as I was working through this early in the week, I was studying it and I was like, this is going to be tough to tell the church. So I tried it out on Emily and I was like, you know what? God doesn't need your prayers. And she said, God don't need your prayers. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not, I wasn't sure if that was still going to fly with the church. Uh, Let me show you an example of of what I mean by this. This is in uh, the story of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther here as a Jew living under the the future extermination of her people by a wicked agent in the courts, uh, her her, uh, relative here. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this message. Do not think, this is to Esther, that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, watch this, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have not come to this royal position for such a time as this. You're familiar with this passage, but isn't that an interesting little section in there that Mordecai recognizes in God's plan and purpose doesn't rely on Esther. She totally has the opportunity to get involved with what God is doing. God is right now setting up the tracks to save his people. He's put everything in motion. He's put Esther right there. But if she remains silent, God's going to do it from somewhere else. He's totally going to do it. It doesn't rely on her. 
The same is true when it comes to what God's doing in your life. He's going to do it. And he gives you the opportunity to come and be part of what he's doing, but doesn't rely on you. God is in charge. He is at work. This from Romans 8. I love this one. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. No amens on that? (laughs) Right? I mean, isn't that true sometimes? I mean, even in your own progression of growing more Christ-like, are you not sometimes surprised about the things you used to pray for? Dear God, let the Packers beat the... <laughs> no, we, we don't know. You don't need to pray for that. Like, we're, we're so immature in our formation so often. We don't even know how we ought to pray. It's okay, Paul says, because God gave you his spirit. His spirit's going to intercede on, beha- on your behalf as you continue to progress in your sanctification. But how much more is it just helpful to understand, thank goodness, God's plan is not dependent on our prayers, but God is having his plan unfold and allows us to be folded into his work. That's how it works. doesn't go from the highlight of man so that God's got to do the dictates of what we say. Rather, it's reversed completely the other way around. All these are critical for us to understand. Okay, I've got to go faster. Here we go. Last one, uh, incorrect prayer practices. For this, I want you to hold your spot in James and I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'd like you to look starting in verse 5. We have the how to pray, but right before the how to pray, I think Jesus gives us a little bit of a glimpse as to, so this is how it's working. How does prayer work? I think we get a little glimpse of it here. It will help correct some poor concepts of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Number one is this. uh, God will only bless those who pray good enough. I gotta, I gotta let this one sit for a minute because I guarantee you are listening. You who don't want to pray because you're intimidated that you don't sound as spiritual as the pastor in Jesus. You put a little emphasis. It really sounds good when you do it that way, <laughs> folks. It doesn't work that way. I, I've, I've literally had people ask me to pray because they think I'm closer to God in some way. It's not true. Just like you in the family of God, corporately together. This is, by the way, the most powerful way to pray is in a community. You can pray. You don't have to sound like the Pope. You don't have to. You don't have to have all the little. Extras that are on there? Do you, do you just not see the passage? What do the hypocrites like to do? They, they just like to hear whose voice? They just like to hear their own voice. That's it. God, God's, you think you're telling something God he doesn't already know? I mean, God's not just going to hear you because you get prayer the perfect little flowery way. So that's wrong. You can pray. I remember it was uh, six years ago. I did, a, I did a whole series on prayer. Some of you might remember this. And then we actually prayed. I had you break into little groups and we prayed right here. And one of the things that 
was difficult for some people is now being put in the in the moment of I, I have to pray in public where people are going to listen. Like some of you are hearing me right now. I know you're out there, right? Here's what I want you to know. This is not some fancy prerequisite for God listening that you pray in a super spiritual way. He wants to hear from you in the same way that you could talk to anybody. You can talk to God. And the further that you grow in relationship with Jesus, I think one of two things will happen. You'll start using maybe words that are more genuine and you might start using less words as well. I think sometimes the shorter prayers are the better ones when we get this right. Number two, uh, oh, God will only answer if I beg him enough. In fact, there's a, there's a parable that Jesus gives about a persistent widow and going before this ungodly judge. So many times churches and preachers, I think, get that wrong because what Jesus is showing is not that you just need to keep, keep knocking. God, you got you to gotta answer. You got to be persistent enough that it finally wore God down. Jesus is saying, that's how it worked with the wicked judge. And he still answered, is Jesus' point. How much more will God answer you? God who loves you, who's waiting. I mean, he just longs to hear your prayers. That's the point of it. Well, look again at this passage. Verse 7. Are you still with me, Matthew? Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. doesn't work this way doesn't work this way. In my own life, I would, I wonder if there's any parallels to your own story where when, when, when I'm in a, a big time need, when something is really rough and I'm looking for an answer, I'll, I'll keep praying and keep praying. And what does God keep telling me? Yeah. Why do you keep telling me no? So I keep praying and I keep praying. And there's part of that that is a formative work in my own heart that needs to happen. But I got to be careful. I got to be careful. I'm telling you this as a confession this morning. I have to be careful that I don't incorrectly think that really the reason why so-and-so is not getting healed or this need is not being met is because of my failure to pray. I was listening to a preacher uh, yesterday. He said that at the back of their church, someone put up on a, like a piece of wood, a board that says this in quotes. I heard your prayer, comma, trust my timing. Signed, God. How cool is that? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be helpful for us in our devotional life to say, all right, Lord, uh, I've asked you, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'm going to trust your timing with it. This is wrong. It's not, it's not that you have to keep asking, keep asking, and finally God will answer. It does not work that way. Number three, God will only listen if we have enough faith. I believe the church has suffered much abuse by getting this one wrong. That somehow I just didn't have enough faith to be healed or for God to answer. And that is why God says, try again, man. Get it right. Maybe I'll, I'll give you a little grace. This is such a lie. That, that then weighs, especially on the hearts of people who are going through illness, like serious disease, where they think, why is God giving me this? Why do I continue to struggle and suffer with this? And the, the arrogance and deception to come from teachers who say, it's just because you don't have enough faith. In fact, the verse that we're going to look at in, um, in James is going to be one of the main verses that gets twisted to incorrectly teach this. Look with me again in the text. Matthew, I'm in Matthew 6 still, verse 8. 
Jesus says, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need when? Before you even ask. Church, is that not good news for you today? Do you know what that means? That means you are not telling God anything he doesn't already know. Your prayers are not, and the answer of those prayers are not dependent on you informing God. That means that's not how prayer works. So how does prayer work? All right, that's our question. Everybody ready for it? Three words. Prayer changes us. Remember, I want to give you the claim at the beginning. Prayer is the furnace of our faith formation. And so what is prayer really doing? Well, certainly not changing God. It's certainly not informing God. In some way, what prayer is actually doing is it changes us. And I already want to hold you to the the metaphor again of God's anvil and hammer coming down upon you to work you in for his purpose and his design, which might be to suffer, which might be to go through hardship. I'm not God. His wisdom is higher and larger than yours or mine. But he's got a plan. He knows how he's working it all, all together. And therefore, prayer ultimately changes us. All right, let's go to James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to work till verse 18. From this, I'm going to have just three main observations that will build a couple of applications on top of James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Okay, that's it. This little tiny section. um, I was telling the elders this week, I've avoided for quite so many years because of, I think, so many theological difficulties that are woven into this passage that we're going to try to unpack this morning and understand what, what is James really saying concerning how prayer works. And the first thing I want to offer to you is this. Prayer offers us peace. It changes us by giving us peace. This is is an amazing type of transactional peace that happens. And it's specific upon the nature of God's hierarchy, standing, and authority over those of us who are the creatures. Here's how it works. God knows. God has a plan. You and I don't know. You and I need God's plan. And so do you know what prayer does? Prayer exchanges the weight of uncertainty that sits on our shoulders and puts it on who? You guys with me on this? All of that anxiety for I don't know the future. How am I going to make my paycheck? I don't know what the doctor is going to say. And you take all of that and you put it on God. And God's like, I totally know. (laughs) I've 
I've got this all planned out. And do you know what you get in exchange? You get peace. The sentence I put up here is, it's a surrender, it's surrendering our anxieties to the power, answer, and timing of God's sovereign control. Uh, there was one time I had opportunity to minister on the island of Grand Bahama. We, we were flying to uh, the city of Freeport. And so from our little island in the Bahamas, we took off on a two-seater. And I got to sit right up front as the co-pilot. This was great. And so we're up in the air. And there's a lot of illustrations. I'll tell you all, all about this at some point. But one in particular was at the very beginning, uh, well, while we were at cruising altitude, I noticed the gas gauge was getting very low. <laughs> I don't know if the pilot knew. So do you know what I did? I didn't pray about it. I told the pilot. Um, And then after that, he knew. It's his problem after that. Who thinks I had no anxiety after that? (laughs) He proceeded to tell me there's two gas tanks. I don't know if you knew that. There's two gas tanks, sometimes even more than two, but over the wings, uh, and the other one was totally full. So we could, we could use the one that we were, we were using. It had a reserve that was totally fine, ready to go. Then I felt better, right? But the story here is that I didn't have the answer. And so I brought it to the attention of the one who does. This is exactly how God has designed prayer to work in your life. You are going to go through some hardships coming up. It's, it's kind, of, kind of rough to hear, except that you would know God's going to grow your faith through it. And so it's a good thing only to be seen so far as you are operating in those trials with prayer. Look at me in this passage from Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the what? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. And your mind in Christ Jesus. You and I completely get a reversal of anxiety when we bring our anxieties to God in prayer. This from 1 Peter 5. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the very first thing I want you to see is that when it comes to prayer, how is it changing you? It's changing you by delivering you what? Say it with me. Delivering you peace. Peace. That's what prayer does. This is how it works in my life. If you want to know how does prayer work. Secondly is this. It gives you insight into God's purpose for your life. Prayer changes you by drawing you into conformity with God's desire, God's will, and God's plan. There's two ways that the text helps us to see that in James. By the way, the first one about peace I, I miss taking you back around that. But verse 13, I love this. If anyone's in trouble, he should what? That, that's for the peace side, right? If, if you're in trouble, you, who wants to hold on to trouble? I don't want that anxiety. I want peace. James's answer, you should pray. You'll, you'll get peace. Uh, the, the two ways by which we get drawn into his purpose, though, are first of all, by living according to God's design. So if you look back with me in the text in verse 14, he says, that if anyone's sick, he should call the doctors of the hospital. Is that what it says? Seems like that's what it should say. Anybody with me? If you're sick, don't call me. <laughs> right? No. Why would you call the elders of the church? Like, this is one of the reasons I struggled with this passage for a long time. Because if we get this wrong on prayer, 
If you get this wrong, this teaching, you're going to end up with a kind of theology that says, my prayers have this healing power. I'm not sure that's exactly what James intends for us to understand. Because if you're sick, you should probably go to the doctor. Unless you have a very specific type of sickness. The kind that James is referring to. The sickness that's happening here is a sickness that's coming from not living according to God's design. And God will mercifully, to draw you to repentance, give you illness. Now let me make sure I clear something up. Not all sickness comes from personal sin. I bet you didn't hear me, so I'm going to say it again. Just because you're sick, just because you're going through a hard time, is not always a direct connection to personal sin. But sometimes it might be. And I want to show you how this is something that's drawn out from the rest of the New Testament. First of all, here from 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the problem in Corinth is that the Christians were pretty vile. The, The Christians were living like the world. Paul has no praise for them in many, many matters. In fact, their bodies, which he calls temples of the living Holy Spirit, were being degraded according to the world's standards. Is that happening today at all? That, that occur in our world where people are degrading their bodies? Who, who, where the Holy Spirit dwells? This is what he says. Do you not know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. It's not my words. This is what the Bible says. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Further in, the, in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, he's going to address the disunity that's happening in the church. Like when it comes to communion, a bunch of people are going ahead without waiting on anybody else. There is this great selfishness that's pervaded into the church. So they're disunified. Look what he says. This is what you should do when it comes to communion. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. What is why? Because they're living in sin. They're living in a way that's selfishly putting themselves ahead of others. And Paul rightly concludes that sinful behavior is why you're sick. Not not because you had Lyme's disease, not because you sprained your ankle, not because you got some type of a cough around you, right? That's not because of natural causes. It's because of sin. Now, I'm going to say it again. I want to make sure everybody hears me. Not all sickness is due to personal sin. But according to the Bible, some of it, sometimes it might be. That's what James is referring to here. That's why James says, don't call a doctor, but call who? Call the elders. Because the reason you're sick might totally because you have COVID. That might totally be why. And probably not COVID. Right, Whatever it was at that time. But it might just be the flu. Totally natural. Or maybe it's because you have unconfessed sin in your life. And if that's the case, you need to confess that sin and be healed through the prayers of the church. But there was another passage that I wanted us to look at. It comes out of the book of Numbers. Um, it's the story of Miriam. This is um, Moses' sister. You guys know, know the story at all? Moses and Aaron are a little bit jealous of Moses. And so they, they go into the tent of meeting with the Lord and they start to complain about Moses, like behind his back, tearing him down. And God is not pleased with this sin in their life. 
Like they, they are gossiping. They are maliciously undercutting the servant of God, not willing to trust and follow him. And they're doing it in God's presence. And so the story says that what God actually does is he strikes Miriam with what? Those who know the story, what does she get? Leprosy. She, she, she gets this skin disease. It's where you, you, your, your skin starts to fall off. You turn like this paley white color. It's awful. They see this and they begin to panic. And this is directly because of her sin. And do you know what happens? Moses, as the elder in that circumstance, do you know what he does? He prays for Miriam. Do you know what Miriam does in that instance? She confesses her sin. And do you know what God does after this? He heals her. I know it's a hard thing for us to wrap our head around, but this is why I warned us at the beginning of this message. If we get this wrong on prayer we'll end up with some weird concoctions for how we think prayer is working when in fact it doesn't work that way. This from Micah 3.6. Therefore, God's saying, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate. Why? Because of your sins. Let me just say it one last time. I, I, I really, really would hate for someone to take my words and spin them around so that I'm not saying what the Bible is saying here. You might be sick just because of sickness. That totally is the case. In fact, that's probably the majority of it. Uh, One of the elders mentioned to me that one of the large parts of sickness for unconfessed sin has to do with the heaviness of anxiety of knowing I'm living under God's wrath. Right? It's, It's stress that can cause sickness in your life. Even the psalmist David recognizes that. Like, until I confess to you, my bones were wasting away in me. Right? That may be a version of the sickness that you include. So not all sickness is caused from personal sin. But James is wanting the church to know, if it is, here's how you handle it. And you handle it by learning to live according to God's design through prayer. God has a purpose for you. So look with me back into the text again. Verse 16. You want to know the purpose? This is critical. Church, you got to lock this down. Verse 16. Therefore, what's the verb in verse 16? Let's say it together. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So at least within our church, there should never be any excuse for someone to be sick because of sin. Because you heard this message and you're going to confess. And we're going to pray for you. And you're going to be healed from that. And when you do it, you're actually living according to God's design. Second one on the purpose is you live according to God's direction. This comes by James highlighting another Old Testament story. It's the story of Elijah. In verse 17 and 18, he says Elijah was a man just like us. He prays, doesn't rain. Again, he prays, and it does. Um, there, there are a little, there's, a, there's a little bit happening between the lines on this. So if you go back and read the story of Elijah, he, um, working with an evil king there, says it's not going to rain. But the Bible doesn't ever say he prays. It's actually not in the text. And then, uh, and then later on afterwards, he has his servant and he, he goes up to this high mountain um, and he says, go and look to see if there's any rain clouds. And the servant comes back and he says, I don't see any. And he tells him to do it like seven times until finally there's this tiny little crowd, cloud. And then Elijah says, and it's, it's totally going to rain now. And James is looking at that story and he's saying, Elijah prayed. It didn't rain. He prayed again, and it did. Let's ask the question. Who's really responsible for stopping the rain? Elijah 
or God? You see, God had a plan to overcome and bring consequences upon evil. That was God's plan. In fact, when you study Elijah, you know what you find? This is what the text says. He went up on the mountain and he put his head in his hands like this. And, and another story, we have Elijah just totally depressed because of what he sees around him. That's what I think James means when he says Elijah was a man just like us. Any amens on that? You ever feel like just putting your head in your head? I mean, what, how's your spiritual prayer life looking in that moment, guys? Right? That's all I have to offer to God is I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. Maybe don't make it rain. Please make it rain. I don't know what to pray for, God. This is the little that I have to bring. That's exactly what I think is happening. The earnest prayer that's coming from Elijah is not this beautiful, high, lofty, and Lord, be it thee, thou in your will to bring off thy rain. It's not, that's not what's happening. He was a man just like you. He struggled just like you. And James understands that God answers the prayer because that's what God was going to do. I, th- I think of it this way. Um, God's will are like rail- railroad tracks. God doesn't change, right? So trains are not like cars, right? They don't get to turn any which way anytime they want. A train has to stay on the tracks. That's like God's will. And you and I, hopefully are on that train. But if we were to look at the tracks, they would take turns and bends to which you don't know where it goes, but who does? God totally does. And so when it comes to his will unfolding, do you know what prayer does for us? It's like you jumping on the train. And now you are going to be going wherever God is going. Who thinks that's a good way to live your life? Anybody? When it comes to prayer, it changes you. By helping you live according to God's design in dealing with sin so you don't get sick. A particular kind of sickness. And by following after God's direction so that as God's plan unfolds, you're like, yeah, hang on. Hang on. I knew this was coming because I've been praying. I know that God's still in charge and at work, but this, this turn is going to be a doozy. I'm holding on, though, because I've been in prayer and in communion with God. And I totally trust him in this moment. In fact, if you look, last thing I want to say on this one, if you look with me back in the text in verse 15, this is for the sick guy again. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. This faith he's talking about is not a faith of healing. James does not mean, hear me loud and clear, that God will only answer if you muster up enough faith for the sickness to go away. That's not at all what James means. You know what James means here by faith? The prayer of faith is the prayer of trust. That's what he means. So when you pray in faith, what you're doing is you're taking this thing you can't control and you're saying, all right, God, we'll give it to you. Again, in the context of confession. But that's what faith here means, not faith that you'll be healed. In fact, we have a story in the Gospels. I know I'm getting a little long here. You guys still with me? Ooh, that was weak. Come on, let's go. A couple more minutes. I'm wrapping it up. There's a story in the Gospels where there's a blind dude. And he gets healed. And do you know what? After he's healed, they question him, and he doesn't even know who healed him. You tell me, did that blind guy have enough faith in his healing to be healed? That wasn't what it was. It wasn't that I would, if I could just be healed from my blindness. He didn't even know who it was that healed him. How in the world was he healed? In fact, do you remember the, the parents come in, and they get questioned, and the authorities are like, well, who is sinning? What, what, what was going on in this circumstance? 
And the answer is God had a plan. He had tracks. The train tracks were totally meant for this guy to be blind from birth and then healed it at a future time in order to reveal Jesus as the Messiah. That was always going to happen because those are his tracks. So it doesn't depend on your faith as though you had to muster up enough ability for God to listen to you. He already has a plan. You and I have to be willing to get on board with it, whatever it is. Lastly is this production. Uh, Prayer shapes us in our relationship with God towards trust, submission, and holiness. Back in the text, uh, it's at the the end of verse 16. It says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When you live your life here, you live in a, in, in, in a sin trash heap. Amen? Some of you are like, what am I amening to? No, listen, your life here is like sin all around. I feel like it's similar to a computer on the internet. Right? What happens to a computer the more it's on the internet? What does it pick up? Malware. Malware. Viruses. Spam accounts, right? All, all, all that, it's all out there. That's kind of like our lives, Christian lives, right? There's all this junk all the time. Well, software engineers, what they do is they take the computer and they connect it back to the motherboard, mothership, the cloud, whatever it is, and it downloads patches and updates so that all that crud's dealt with, taken, taken rid of, right? We're going to make these changes to the software because you're living in the trash heap. I think prayer is very similar in the believer's life to produce within us a righteousness and a holiness because you're going to pick up some sin as you leave this place. You're going to walk around in the world. You're going to get some malware coming into your heart. Well, how do, how do I get rid of that? How do I get rid of the false way of thinking and those things that deceive me and lead me away from God? What's the answer, folks? You've you got to connect back to the cloud or the mothership or whatever, to Jesus Christ himself. And in doing so, one of the things that prayer does is it will produce in you a submission to God's will and a holiness that will flow from being in communion with him. I had a lot more verses I want to look at for that. We're going to skip them for this morning. So moving on to wrap up here. How do I, how do I know if I'm using prayer right then? Right? Because answering the question, how does prayer work, is one thing. Totally has to do with peace, has to do with purpose and production. Right? I've made them all start with the letter P so they're easy to remember. Right? But what I really want to leave you with is the idea that prayer changes you. It's not changing God. And you need to wait till I'm in a trial to do that because prayer is the furnace of God's formation to grow our faith. You could do it all day long. In fact, this is the shortest verse in the Bible in the New Testament. Paul says, pray continually. <laughs> I feel like that's the shortest sermon ever. Right? That could have been all I said. Just, just keep praying all the time and that's how you should live your life. Well, how do I know if I'm doing it right? I want to give you just three questions. The first is this. Ask yourself, am I using God or loving God when it comes to prayer? Do I treat God like a genie, like a cosmic vending machine? I'm only showing up when I need something. Or am I orienting my life so that I'm in constant communication with God because I love God and I know that he loves me? This this is a question that I would challenge you to think through as you move forward in your prayer life as a discipline. Second, ask yourself, am I yielded to God's control? Um, This one is a tough one for Americans in particular, right? We love to be in control. We love to have things our way. 
And one of the things that you will find and have probably already noticed in your life is that sometimes God tells you no. A lot of times God tells you wait. Occasionally God says right on. Yes. Right. So the only way that you are going to be able to grow as formative in that process of God's furnace is that you make sure that when it comes to control, I'm really giving it to God. I'm trusting God. I'm I'm yielding all of that control over to him. Lastly, am I moldable to God's shaping of my life? I rephrase this in my notes here to to ask, am I receptive to being changed by God? Think about that for just one minute here as as we wrap up. How many of you like change? Raise your hand nice and high. I'm looking around here. Usually across the board, no one likes change. All the more, we don't like change when it comes to ourselves. And so you will naturally, just like that piece of rod iron, you will naturally be resistant to God's hammer strike to change you. In fact, here's a phrase. You guys heard this one? You can't teach an old dog. You have heard that one. That's right. Uh, I tried that on on my dog this week. <laughs> we, got, we got two dogs. I taught the old one a new trick. So there you go. It doesn't work anymore. But what, what does somebody sometimes mean when they say that phrase? I think what they really mean is, I just don't want to change. I just really don't want to get involved or really try because I'm too comfortable living just the way I am. And if that's the case, you got two options. The hammer is going to come down harder. Or if you engage with God in prayer and allow a disciplined prayer life to be that furnace that begins to shape your heart, to receive peace, to find God's purpose to work out in your life, and to be produced to look more like Jesus, I believe that you will find those hammer strikes um, a lot less painful. Prayer is the furnace of our faith formation in our life. It changes us. Let us be people who pray. Amen.